the more and more that we're doing like these episodes where it looks scandalous like this, uh-huh. it just makes me think I should always oh, rock like 80s fashion. Yeah. Like always just All the 80s like style times that we've had. Yeah. You've looked great. I, I, like I, absolutely I, My hair needs to be the worst. San Diego, and we're the Ghouls Next Door. Yeah, because that's where I was born. Yeah, that's good. I got, I could have been Boston. I got very panicked because I was like, I don't know where. Where, where, where do I be. say I am? <laughs> you're also um, Philadelphia. Uh, oh, okay. Well, I mean, no, it could be whatever. We did what we did. This is where I was born again, so it counts because I was. I would have actually been Boston, but she wasn't named after where she was born. Mm-hmm. They said. She said they wanted me to have an American name. And what's more American than Detroit? Yeah. That's pretty real. You know? Yeah. And also, what's more American than Philadelphia, the birthplace of this nation? <laughs> so, also. Yeah, so. That's good. Yeah, it works. I am also Philadelphia. Yeah, that's good. It's fine. That's what happened the first time. We don't gotta, yeah. we don't gotta talk about it. Yeah. Well, this uh, episode, uh, we are talking about Sorry to Bother You yep. by Boots Riley. Yeah, so we're sorry to bother you, uh, but we're going to talk about some stuff. Sorry to bother you. That might make you kind of uncomfortable. But please listen to this episode. Yes, please. <laughs> yeah, we got to put on our our public service voice. Yeah. Hi, I'm Kat. <laughs> Thank you for calling the ghouls next door. Yeah, I had oh, that from my, my years of being a hostess. Mm-hmm. Just like, hi, thank you for calling. <laughs> I was like, please, please hold. Why we connect you to the proper services, whatever. Yeah, it's a persona. It's a whole yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. I think it's really funny because I could be like yelling at work. Like I could be like really upset. I could be like, I hate this thing that's happening. Or, I'm so mad. And the phone rings like, hi, thank you for calling Philly Cam. This is Gabe speaking. How can I help you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, who is that? Who was that person? Yeah. <laughs> Where did she come from? And why, mm-hmm. why did she promptly leave? <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know? It's great. This is a great film. It, yeah. Um, I, I do well, for many that, reasons. There's yes. so many, so many reasons. And we only have so much time. So I, I think it's, we want to specify that we're really only going to dive into like two of the many themes in this film. Uh, there's a lot. There's a lot that's going on. And so um, I think we will probably like address this film later. And mm-hmm. and this is something like I wanted to do this film during our uh, uh, pop, uh, not pop, uh, horrors of society. Yes. Because I wanted to talk about um, human labor mm-hmm. as slavery. Yeah. And how like, like capitalism does that and how like <laughs> our prison industrial complex does that. And so we will be diving in a little bit of that, but it's not quite to the extent like I wanted it just to be about worry free. Um, but you can also specifically talk about media too. You can talk about um, the the abuse show that's on there. You yeah, can talk about like <laughs> so yeah, many things. Yeah, and it's like 
all of them are the things that need to be said. Yeah. So it's very hard to like pick the thing we're going to say. Yeah. Today. But we are because kind of going into our social horror uh, episode. So it is. I I guess the more uh, satirical mm-hmm. kind of comedic. It is comedic. But I think the the themes and eventually like we I, I am adamant not to spoil some of the things because I think okay. it's such a genuine good to know response like yes. like I, I think it's kind of crazy that I watched the film pretty late because this came out in 2018 I mm-hmm. had not been spoiled about that big spoiler like were mm-hmm. you spoiled about the big spoiler no right so everyone just kept telling me they needed to see my face when we saw it <laughs> and I was like I don't understand yeah what do you mean so okay I want other people to do that like yeah. I don't want to take that from anyone so um if you watch it you know what we're talking about but I don't want to like spoil that yeah but there are things in this film that are horrific and yeah. would be very well a horror film so I would say it is a social horror um, for a lot of reasons, but it's also like social commentary, which is why it fits into um, what we're talking about in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think it also goes into our horror while black. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. yes. Yeah. Um, especially because like, you know, we're going to some things we're going to talk about is code switching. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about um, capitalism. We're going to talk about the prison industrial complex and all of those things directly affect uh, communities of color uh, proportionally more <laughs> than yeah. uh, white people. So um, not to say that white people don't have similar experiences mm-hmm. or like that we even just like brown people like myself have similar experiences and, and have had to code switch or have their own language Mm -hmm. um or are also like suffering from uh these same uh groups of power who try to control us like we're in there too um but it does happen to be predominantly um black communities and black people who are suffering from these things yeah the most so i think uh it definitely falls into our horror while black because, uh, like, like you know, what we've said, oftentimes real life is more horrific than what you're going to find on film. And so to black people, this is a horror film, too. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, to anyone who can read between the lines. And not even. It's... Uh, it's pretty blunt. It's in your face. Yeah. <laughs> it's so like fun. There, as, like, as we've been saying, it's like, there are things that are, behind, like, very, like, not... It's still very in your face, but are, like, background yeah. to the events taking place that are, like, I guess you could say is subtle Mm -hmm. but yeah it's very in your face it's a very in your face film there's plenty of uh monologues throughout the film that are just like here is what i'm trying to tell you this is about africa and how the first wave the first symbol of of capitalism Mm -hmm. is taking slave labor from africa and using it here in america and it's like drowned out we're not like but it's like if you're listening paying attention it's it's doing it on purpose yeah it was made that way on purpose because we're as viewers drowning out that knowledge all the time like as yeah. humans we drown out the realities of the situation especially but... when given the means to be a pedestal above financially others yeah we're just like oh but it'd be real and convenient to acknowledge that's a thing so i'd have to stop doing the thing that i really want to yeah. do it can't be my fault i want really... the middle class's fault i really just want this thing it's really convenient yeah. I just need it. That's America right there. I just I want this I need it. So shh. I need it to stop. Don't tell me about it. Because then I have to 
And then it's like, I don't feel so bad. I'm going to performatively feel bad for like a minute <laughs> so that people don't cancel me on Twitter. But then I'm super just not going to feel bad yeah. later when everything like... It's quiet again. Yeah, normal. Let's go back to normal, guys. Oh, my gosh. Let's make America great again. Because it was go. great once. Oh, God, that's scary. Most of them. The little skit we just did was scary. Yeah, that's real. Because it's very real. <laughs> that We should make our own film. Um, Let's make some films. So, Kat, tell us what Sorry to Bother You is about. Yeah, I got you. I didn't scroll down. I'm sorry. What's up? So... Sorry to Bother You is a film by Boots Riley that came out in 2018 to summarize from IMDb. In an alternate present-day version of Oakland, telemarketer Cassius Green discovers a magical key to professional success, profe- propelling him into a universe of greed. Yeah, that's a very simple way to say what happens. I just feel like, yeah, that's what Wikipedia and IMDb are. The themes, there's like, that's kind of what it is. Yeah, well, it it's is, hard but to it, you know, tell it. It's yeah. hard to say what it is. You don't is. want to spoil it either. Yeah. There's like... Because, yeah, so what you do have, you have a man whose name is Cash is Green. Uh, Cash is Green. And, uh... Cash is Green. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Um, he, it is a uh, play by Lakeith uh, Stanfield, who I'm a great fan of. I, yeah. I love everything he's in. There's, I've never been disappointed. Um, and just, he does a phenomenal job here. Mm-hmm. Um, just like he's done in Atlanta or Get Out or, like, any number of things mm-hmm. that he, he finds himself in. Um, and he... And, and I'd say, so, right from the start, I think one of the most amazing things uh, that only someone with Boots Riley's brain, right? Because he's very artistic. He's a musician, and his band, The Coop, is the the soundtrack, is all them. Oh, wow. Uh, and That's really cool. Yeah, he has very interesting band song, song names. Uh, and he's just a very artistic-minded person, and so that comes through the film in a very unique way. Like, there are things in this film that... Uh, like the cinematography and also like the practical effects add to the film as a whole like there's so Mm -hmm. much messaging that's happening in the dialogue in the colors right in the Mm -hmm. names in the circumstances in the weird uh way that the world moves around them Mm -hmm. and all of it contributes to the, the story that he's trying to tell and it's so phenomenal like but practical effects I'm such a sucker for those like mm-hmm. one of the biggest reasons I ever wanted to get into filmmaking was after watching a documentary um about Peter Jackson in in um in Lord of the Rings and all the different uh like <laughs> the ways that they would um use practical effects in order to get these certain looks. So like the fact that Gandalf looks much larger than the hobbits, it's just because of the way that they position mm-hmm. them in like, they had to build the, um, the carriage that they're on so that the seats are separated so that they have yeah. the perception looks like he's much bigger. And I was like, that is the coolest thing in the world. Mm-hmm. I was like, that is so phenomenal to think like how you can manipulate the world and then use the camera to like convey this idea and I was like that's like the greatest blend between like the left and right brain Mm -hmm. because you have something that's so artistic but then you also have something that's so scientific (laughs) like you have something where you're like math is involved (laughs) and so I think this does a really good job of kind of wielding both of those worlds Mm -hmm. together it's like all these practical things and cinematography but then also this beautiful like artistic way that we're kind of learning and experiencing Mm -hmm. the world just phenomenal the flow of it honestly is very like i would say honestly like musical and that like it just keeps kind of connecting 
into each part, even if what's happening is like absurd is what you're like seeing, but it like does, even if it feels, it feels like it purposely disjointed enough that it makes sense. And that like, it would be like how I imagine like, not exactly, but how childish can be as this is America video shower, like so much is happening that everything like is chaos, but it leads perfectly into each other part that's happening. And yeah. Cool. Yeah. And, and I think the disjointed cinematography and the way that the world collapses and moves and that things mm -hmm. aren't ever static or like, or conventional mm -hmm. really helps to tell this story to the degree that it needs to be because like you believe the absurdity of it because it, everything is absurd. Mm -hmm. Like the whole, like you're just like, Oh, that's just this world that we live in. Because, and I, here's the thing I really loved about it was, uh, and then we can get into like <laughs> the actual what, yeah, themes, right? Uh, but is that the characters react like real people. So, like, they react like as if we were in that world and mm -hmm. things are acting weird. So they do pr like react to stuff where they're like, what? Wait, how? What am I doing? But at the same time, still rolling with it. And yeah. so, like, it's like, you know, he gets dropped into the living room and he's just like, what? Like I'm in here and then he's just like, I sorry to bother you. Can I, yeah. you know, offer you the magazine subscription? Uh -huh. And then they're like having sex <laughs> on the couch and it's just like like he's react like they say things where they're like, that's not right, or that's uh -huh. weird. Like this is the television. Like they all react the way I feel like people would react and then also react the same way in that they just keep going and they're just accepted as reality. Yeah, it's just very like adaptive, like kind of how the human brain is when it's dealing with so much all at once. It's like, all right. We got to do whatever we can to make this feel okay. Yeah. And you just keep We're going. normal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's great. It's a coping mechanism. It's also cool that he's just like, as like when you're calling someone, if you think like telemarketing. Yeah. You're trying to like sell someone something most of the time in inopportune moments. Yeah. So the fact that he's just like plopping into the room while they're having sex or like plopping in to like while the guy's sleeping. It's early on the toilet. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. that's the thing I think is really interesting is that when he's on the first floor, when he is just a normal telemarketer, he uh, calls and he interrupts people and he's very out of his, like, he, he's out of it, right? He, mm -hmm. like, talks to the woman who, whose husband has cancer. He gets hung up on at the dinner table. He interrupts in the sex, right? And mm -hmm. so he's very clearly an outsider in that moment. Mm -hmm. And he's getting put into these really odd situations that are uncomfortable. But as soon as he becomes a PC uh, power caller, he has that scene where he's plopped in front of the man who is using the toilet, but he is intimate with this man. He is close. Like, he's no uh -huh. longer at his desk, separated from he's the action. There. He's in it, and he pushes the button for the bidet. Yeah. Because he is there. He's in it. Yeah. And I think that's such a, like, even that itself. Like, we're keeping the same conventions. We're seeing the same film tactics, except now we see, like, the physical transition of of his growth as a telemarketer and salesman that he has now gotten to their level and that he's using the white voice and he's doing all that and so he can only achieve that uh that level of intimacy when he did that when he kind of sold mm -hmm. out to and that like world. the intro he feels bad about intruding and the other one he feels like he needs to, he's, he's, he's there, there. He right belong. to be there yeah. well, let's go yeah i'm in this space <laughs> yeah <sighs> what a time yeah i agree <laughs> So we're talking themes? Yes. Yeah. I'm going to let you take it. Take it away, ma'am. Oh, dear God. No, I'm you kidding. Can do this. No, it's cool. It's cool. Um, so it's, it's just really interesting, a lot of the things that are happening. So we're going to be talking about code switching and basically how for people of color and 
you know, in terms of a class system, we have that it's taken from just like, you have to go from one thing to another in life to a form of survival. Like it's not so much a choice. It's literally like, if you cannot exist as yourself mm-hmm. in the world and the only way to protect yourself and be okay in the world is to enter into this like persona of code switching. There's a really good quote specifically from The Guardian. Nice. Um, which was one of my favorite quotes that I found so far <laughs> in all of the research that we're doing. It says, when black people can be killed for simply being themselves, code switching presents itself as a form of self-preservation. And I feel like you kind of see that in this film and that like he's struggling a lot until uh, Danny Glover turns to him and says, hey, have you considered? <laughs> let me give you some, let me give you a tip. Yeah. Try using a white voice. And then he's like, I don't, people tell me like, I talk white all the time. Uh, what do you mean? Yes. Yeah. yes like, that's, yeah. And he's like, I'm not talking about Will Smith white. Yeah. I'm talking about like, and then he does his like very He's just a, jarring. a white man speaking for him. Yeah. But Who I, is it? Patton Oswalt? No. For him? Um, I think for Lake Keith, it's, um, ugh, man, I'm totally forgetting his name. But no, not Patton Oswalt. For I him. think Patton Oswalt was. One of them. Danny Glover's. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Or, I don't know. We'll have to I think he was one of the white voices in there voicing over, like dubbing, I guess. Yes. Yeah, I do think so. Um, what, what I think is really interesting about that scene is that it's not just um, uh, about race too he even Mm -hmm. says it it's not just about having a white person voice because he's like you can Mm -hmm. do the nasal thing it is about what that voice means and that is it it represents a power and a wealth and a life that that person wants to have and so like that part of it is very interesting to me it's like it's 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 equates the white man voice with a certain level of power. It's like, you're going to go mm-hmm. in and get in your Mercedes after you're done this call. And it's like marketing 101, right? Is yeah. that we present, like we show happy people who are hot and cool with our services. So then you think if I get these services or I I'll buy that phone cool. or I buy that thing, I'm going to be hot and cool too. Um, and you're right. Uh, Pat Oswalt is Mr. Blank. Uh, the one where he, we never say his name. Mm. Uh, he looks like Hunger Games. Oh, uh, yes, yes, yes. His voice. And then David Cross uh, is Cassius. Okay. His white person voice. I um, wasn't sure then who did Danny so, Glover's. So it was Patton Oswalt. And it could have been, I mean, he could have done, it could have been one of them too. Gotcha. Uh, but yeah, it's literally like a white man speaking for them. <laughs> uh, and then I think uh, uh, Tessa Thompson also had a voiceover. Mm-hmm. She had a British lady. And I don't yes. think it was her because it, it was wasn't. It was off sometimes. It wasn't. I looked it up. I don't I think it was Lily or something. Lily someone. Oh, you know what's great? I just saw Rosario Dawson is the voice in the elevator. That's like your, I hope you haven't masturbated today. <laughs> it's like awkward. Uh, yeah. And I think some, so we'll go into code switching, but the the language thing of like survival and like it not just being race thing, but also like a economic thing too, mm-hmm. is I just saw a post um, about teachers and how they have to deal with like, so many, some teachers will try to 
educate or school young kids, especially young kids of color, from speaking in a certain way, like which is like Ebonics, right? Mm -hmm. um, but that's a, a, a legitimate language and it has adapted and it has its own rules and it has its own like structure and understanding. Yeah. Like it is a language. It's just that we have equated that language with poverty or lower class and not understanding that our own language is like the lower class version of what English ever was. Like yeah. we have devolved into what we are now. So the fact that something like Ebonics or like that language, if you could, I'm sure there's a different name for it now, honestly, uh, is honestly the future because it's a simplified version. It gets to the point quicker. And mm -hmm. that's what we have devolved into. Like we used to say like a million words to get to one sentence that yeah. now equals like five words. Now we can, we could say words good. Like yeah. <laughs> why many words when one word do good like that, yeah. you know? Uh, and I think it's, it was interesting to me that like, uh, there was teachers who were like, yeah, I don't correct them when they say like, I'm finna go get a pencil or whatever, because that is to a degree correct. Yeah. They are saying what they want to say. Like yeah. we get, we understand what they're saying. And mm -hmm. also the ling English language is all messed up to begin with. And one of the big reasons why I, when I like growing up, it used to be like, you know, very hard on grammar and would correct people all the time. Mm -hmm. And I had to come to terms with like, that's actually like a microaggression <laughs> to yeah. like correct someone because like, you know what they're saying and uh -huh. they don't need to say it the specific yeah. way. Exactly. And it's actually really rude to correct them and that it's okay if people get they, they're, they're, they're wrong. Like, uh -huh. <laughs> you know, like if they get the grammar wrong, it's too bad. American language yeah. sucks. It's hard to learn. <laughs> well, there's like, okay, so there's a lot to that. So in that, yeah. like, so for example, in Anglo-Saxon times, um, Pygmalion, the whole Henry Higgins picks up the like lowly flower girl who's like homeless and speaks with the Cockney accent. I don't know how to do it. Uh, <laughs> Hello. But, yeah. And he's like, I'm going to take this lady and teach her how to speak proper yeah. all fancy times. Yeah. And then she'll be able to get it like regular with upper scale society. And yeah. it's like that idea has very much transferred from I guess England to America and that like we're very critical over like because of the fact that it's been a very much like white space yeah that like all the professional settings are white spaces because of the fact that there's very intentional and and like endless years of oppression yeah um that like basically we equate talking like code switching like white voice as what it is appropriate to be professional mm -hmm. as what is like appropriate of upper society and like the way that uh Danny Glover describes it is like he's saying that like you have to talk like what they wish they were like yeah like it's basically like they don't have that but yeah. the reason that they trust you who's talking like the epitome of what that is, like the exact opposite of talking like with any sort of blackness mm -hmm. is that is one pushing that vernacular down even yeah. further. And then also you're just feeding into this idea that they need to keep pushing for that. It's like the whole middle class needs to keep pushing their yeah. poor people down so that they can get to the 1%. Uh, yeah. So it kind of, it's just like, it's been a very long winded journey to that. And that like, it's associated, as you said, with class, but also with race, specifically mm -hmm. in America, because of yeah. the way that we demonize and oppress people and build countries yeah. off the backs of people. Yeah. Well, it just makes me think of all the times where people would say that Obama sounded educated 
Like he's like, what is that? Like the educated equals white, right? Like that's what mm-hmm. it meant because it was the, you know, like how many times, like he said, people always say I talk white anyway. It's like how many times have you had a black friend and they were told they talk white and it just meant that they talked properly or they mm-hmm. use this very specific language because maybe that's where they grew up like the fact that that is equated to whiteness is the problem mm-hmm. because we're also like it is also on the other side equated to like wealth and status and mm-hmm. being educated and being um like higher than everyone else so mm-hmm. it's like on this level it's like higher than everyone else educated blah blah equals whiteness mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like that's the problem that we have here yeah and then if you yeah, have like you're not schools they're trying to teach like etiquette classes or like i think it's important for people to know how to like have a job interview but like you should their systems in place should not be as discriminatory as they are in mm-hmm. that like you have to talk a certain way to get a job you have to basically use your white voice which is just one basically saying like to be black you have to talk one way yeah. and to be white you have to talk one way and if you talk any way different like there's something wrong with that mm-hmm. and they're like it's just the whole time yeah well it's like i mean it's just like you know how with the hiring process like one the fact that it's not till recently that we like made it illegal for you to tell black women or black people to do their hair a specific way and it was always a white uh uh way right mm-hmm. like you know pressing it like you couldn't wear free <laughs> like fro like you can wear locks you can yeah. like that was like looked down upon um so we're changing that narrative but also like names too like that's mm-hmm. a big thing there's so many times that if you have a specific like black scene name it is just thrown in the trash like you don't even get a chance so it's yeah. like you have to get a name like david or something it's a reason why i like when i was making my emails when i was becoming an adult i was like should i take up my actual name, which is Gabrielle, or should I keep Gabe like I usually do? And mm-hmm. I stuck with Gabe because I was like, odds are someone's going to accidentally get me an interview. Because they think you're a man. Because they're going to think I'm a dude. Like 100%. And how many times did that happen? Let me tell you, quite a lot. Yeah. I get it all the time that people think I'm a man and they treat me differently in those emails. Yeah. Yeah. It, it happens quite a lot. And so it, there's so many levels to that where it, it is all about like what we value as being professional and what we value as the the something to aspire to, which mm-hmm. ha- happens to inherently not be anything black. Yeah. Right. And so like that's what he's kind of fighting against. So that's one of the things is like where we have this intersectionality of, you know, our, our classism that all, in America just inherently mixes with our racism and mm-hmm. our structure. It, it comes hand in hand because we our classism is built on race. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's 100%. And it's, it's one, really gross. Two, linguistics is fascinating. If you don't know anything about linguistics, it's like, I took one class in college. Gabe, yeah, you also I took, also one, took class one class in college. college. It's just like the way that we aso- develop language and associate trust specifically with a way of speaking, a dialect, uh, the words that we choose, it's inherently defines like how we trust mm-hmm. specifically. Like if, so when you are in Philly, you say water, you say John, you say, mm-hmm. you know, you do not say water. Uh, <laughs> you know, you, you, you make sure that you say, like, because that helps people trust you. Yeah. Like, honestly, it's very real. Yeah. Like, it is a human adaptation to the environment that you're in. Like, mm-hmm. I know when I was younger, whenever I would go visit, like, family, 
if they were from different parts of the country, I would totally change. By the time I got home, I was speaking entirely differently to the point where my mom was so confused. She'd be like, you never said that word that way. Where yeah. did your tease go? Yeah. Why don't you say tease anymore? And I was just like, I don't know. I was there for a weekend. I had to, <laughs> I felt really uncomfortable. So my only way of adapting is to change the way that I speak so that they are nicer to me. I don't know. Like, yeah. it's just like very real. It's a human adaptive thing to do where it's dangerous is when we're demonizing one specific group of people so much that anything that resembles or sounds like that group is put in a deplorable category. Yeah. I have a similar situation in that my, like I said in the beginning of this podcast, I was born in Massachusetts. And so I have a lot of family from Boston. My mom has the accent every now and again. It's not as strong. When you talk as to her, it comes out sometimes. When I talk to my mom or talk to any family, like I have a cousin who's just lived there her whole life. And if I talk to her for five minutes, all of a sudden I'm like, we need to get in the car. And um, <laughs> yeah, I'll just, and also when I'm babysitting or angry, it also comes out, which is kind of funny. Uh, Cause I guess like those, both of those things are, are related to my family, babies and anger. Uh, but yeah, I can literally, if I bump into someone in the store, I almost said store, uh, bump into <laughs> someone in the store and they have a Boston accent, it is takes all of me to not do it because I'm so used to being like, yeah, it's wicked awesome. And like, it's like, yeah, let's go get a coffee later and blah, 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 blah. And it's just like there. And I like, I can't even watch a video. And if someone has it, I'm on it. Cause it's like, yeah, you're adapting. And it's like, I I lived in Massachusetts a total of like four years of my life, like three when I was a child mm -hmm. and one when I was still a child. Uh, like, and I can still do it because of, of the people I've been around. I, and even like when I go down south to visit my family now in South mm -hmm. Carolina, I'll come back with a little bit of a country twang all of a sudden. And I'm yeah. like, why, why in the world I got this now? Yeah. <laughs> and what's it's like, it's yourself plus like who you were already plus that on a layer on top. Like, I know when I visit my Indiana family, they have, like, a little bit of, like, country accents. Yeah. And then I'll have that, but, like, mixed in with my Philadelphia. Sometimes I just say words that are, like, Minnesotan. Yeah, and I you say I'm weird. not from there, and that makes no sense. And I attribute it to the fact that my mom was from New York. She said chocolate. She said, like, awesome. You had that all sound. Yeah. And then that's, like, kind of also Jersey mixed in with Philadelphia, mixed yeah. in with all the so other places say, that so, I've been. Some things you say weird, and I'm always like, why do you say it like that? That's so weird. Know. Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely, like, this, <laughs> those things. Oh, or, like, my, my mother um, is very good at code switching a little bit in, in regards to people who speak English as a second language because she uh, she speaks Spanish fluently and mm -hmm. has interacted with a lot of people who speak a different language primarily. And so she will take on a, a way of speaking that I always notice where it's a simpler, simpler version mm -hmm. where she doesn't add any floral text to it. Like she simplifies it. She cuts it down to the ba basics so that person can understand. Yeah. And sometimes I'm like, it kind of feels like you're dumbing it down, but you're not because it's you're just making like that person is it's trying to learn to and they know yeah. a lot of words in their own language. Mm -hmm. They're just learning these ones. Like they're probably incredibly intelligent. Like, yeah. way smarter than well, you're that's probably. also a thing that yeah. like we associate different vernaculars or languages just because they're not our version of English as something that means people are less intelligent. So mm -hmm. immigration, Yeah. anyone who speaks Spanish, where I was like, lots of people are very right or prejudiced against them mm -hmm. and basically will act like they're stupid like they, they don't know stuff like they were an engineer yeah or a doctor or like you know just like 
very intelligent people just and they're even more intelligent because they're now speaking two languages plus code switching plus all these other things yeah plus an entire like and we're just our and we're like selves in America. You can say that correctly. Like, I took French in high school, but like I don't remember how to say any of it. But yeah. you know, it's fine. Like that guy, he's dumb because he doesn't know how to speak English real good. Yeah, that's like any other country. They learn English as a second language like pretty well, and then we're here in America, like habla español. And <laughs> we'll say any language after you have passed puberty is extremely hard to learn. Yeah. There's so much science behind that. Where if you have not learned like the intro stages to another language before puberty, your brain has less like it is more formed, so it's a lot harder for you to learn additional languages. So someone who is in their adult life coming to this country, learning a different language and then just speaking and doing a really good job of it. They're a very intelligent person because they're fighting the chemicals in their yeah, brain who are, are like, like, we have learned our things. We're done now. Yeah. Because it's plastic. The brain is plastic. We but it's also fine. like with your speech too, the fact that sometimes your mouth has learned a specific way of speaking. So there's certain sounds that mm -hmm. they just cannot make. And so then instead we make memes and stupid jokes about entire races of people because they can't say our word correctly. And it's like they literally cannot. Their mouth cannot do that sound. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I mean, no, I think it works. the epitome of what America and American capitalism is, is loud and ignorant. The <laughs> yes. more loud and more ignorant we are, the better. Yes. So that was our rant America. about uh, code switching. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I mean, like, Boo Riley has a lot of really good things to say about, like, not, like, positive things, but, like, a lot of really, like, interesting. He does it well. Yeah, he does it well. <laughs> you know, he, says, he talks about the experience and what it means and what he's trying to convey in the film extremely well like yeah. it, he really just kind of goes into like why people accept whiteness like the speaking in a white voice as what it is in terms of the professional world and then also like why he portrayed it that way and why he dubbed the character you know it's just yeah. like there's lots of really interesting articles yeah, about it yeah there's so much to say um one thing i wanted to talk about was uh because i think it's so interesting is the um uh, have a Coke uh, mm -hmm. meme. So uh, there's like a scene. So there's one, I I, I made a remark to, to Kat where I was like, I wish that talking about unions didn't have to seem so like... Conspiracy cons theorists? Yeah, like conspiratorial. Like there have to be like secretive. Yeah. You, like, and, and that's America for you. Like we, that's what we do. You like unions have to kind of be formed outside and then like and we're built america's built on unions like that's what we do <laughs> like that's how we get anything done well the right thing has to be a secret when you think about like watergate and nixon like yeah always you had to meet the guy in the abandoned parking garage with the different voice for the truth to get out yeah instead of people just being good people Snowden, and owning their stuff yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but 100%. So like, I was like, oh, that's sad. But in this film, we have a, a union that is being formed. We have a, uh, 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 strike mm -hmm. that is happening and Cassius is crossing the picket line and mm -hmm. he is a, uh, what, what is it called? Um, what's the term? When they cross the picket line? Yeah. When you're working for them. <laughs> When you're not supposed to. Uh, we'll come back to that word. Uh, but Someone's he's, yelling it at us, like, from the <laughs> From the internet. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Uh, I can't remember what it is called. I'm going to do a little quick. Google. Pick it. Scab. That's what it's called. I didn't have to type a scab. 
He's being a scab. And uh, as he's trying to cross in there, you know, helping him out, he gets hit uh, <laughs> with a Pepsi can. The Pepsi or Coke? A Coke can. I think it was a Coke can. And this, it said, yeah. uh, you know, smile and have a Coke, right? Yeah, that's what it was. The reason we think Pepsi is because of the Kendall Jenner ad. Yes. Uh, where she hands the Coke or, poli- or to the police officer. Pepsi to the police officer. Yes. Being like, this is. I fixed what it. Does matter. <laughs> Yeah, so look good. at me all my money. Um, we just, just have to give them soda to make them stop brutalizing the populace. Oh, <laughs> so tone deaf. Yep. You know who? Why would he trust her? Um, we could do a whole episode on the horrors of Kendall Jenner. Um, this is the Kardashians and the Jenner situation. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to talk about, you know, preparation. Anyway, yeah. Uh, yeah, so there's, like, that scene where it gets thrown. And so a Coke gets thrown at his head, and the woman who throws it at him, uh, she says, like, smile and have a Coke. And she becomes this meme internet sensation. She's on a YouTube video that is really comical recreation, and it replays. And it's like, we've seen that. We've seen those videos it's Mm -hmm. not far um and we've also seen those jokes about those videos (laughs) yeah but what i think is really interesting about that is that it doesn't stop there it didn't stop at like the joke is that he became a meme and that his pain became a meme it's that it took another step and made her sell out and so then she like in the same breath that they're like look at what happened to the scab he got hit in the head what an idiot also she now works for coke Mm-hmm. And now she is profiting off of that. Like she's doing the yeah. same thing he did. She's a scab too. Yeah. And 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 so there's like this kind of idea where we we not we but like they uh, subvert and like take the power from a movement mm-hmm. by trying to like commodify it. And yeah. so like it reminded me of. Um, the first episode of Black Mirror. So that's the one where they're doing the games and uh-huh. he plays the games and and, and the girl he loves from uh, Downton Abbey is, uh, she becomes a singer uh-huh. and she wins. But yeah. then she becomes like a porn star and she she ends up being sex trafficked and it's like this whole thing. Yeah. And so he's heartbroken because he's like, the woman I love has been destroyed by the system because we, you know, uh, are using humans. And so he goes on that rant and you think like, oh, he's breaking down the system. He's fighting back against it. He's being empowered. And then the whole rest of the, of the end is that he goes on these panels and he has a show where he's just doing that. Like he's on a pedestal and he cries and whines about things. But he is the tool of, of the same company. Like he's just, they have taken it and by kind of putting it under them and, and making him just say and talk they for get no the power reason, they get the power and the it, it, yes and to me it resembles you know like these very you know pointless gestures that like i get you know why you're doing it and there's parts of it that you can be like thanks right but it you're distracting from the the actual movement and the actual things that we want, which is change. So it's like, I don't know, painting Black Lives Matter on a street instead of changing the actual laws that are harming those very people who walk those streets. Like, mm-hmm. that's nice. Love art, love installation. Like, maybe if it was done by the people, love it, right? But yeah. you're like, it's like when- Well, because you're trying to pacify us. Yeah, well, it's like when Congress was kneeling, they were doing the Kaepernick, it, it was like, That's so rude because we're kneeling so that you will pay attention and do changes. We're not kneeling so you also kneel. That's performative. That's literally not the point. Like, do something. Like, you're clearly seeing that we're kneeling. You're clearly seeing we need help. So now do something. Instead, they're 
taking it from us and taking that power from us and and making it their own which is what happens in this like he says like i need you to infiltrate this thing i want you to be our mlk jr but yeah. for us so you're gonna stage a rebellion but it's not a real rebellion because we own it that's what happens all the time yeah <laughs> well because it's anybody who's willing to play ball mm-hmm. will be put up and will say the palatable version of what the rich white people can handle mm-hmm. um and then everyone else is killed mm-hmm. or or fired. Or fired or thrown away or demonized turned. publicly. Mm-hmm. Or turned uh, into something that will obey. Yeah. Yeah. It's a whole thing. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just like anyone who's not willing to play ball, anyone who's not willing to take the under the table. Mm-hmm. Or just like Touch be push. someone who, in this instance, like who can be in both worlds. So knows how to do white voice and, you know whatever their regular vernacular is like yeah. they're well, who will can exist in both and can move the whole thing is that he's saying like well you can appeal to them yeah it's like you are that in like the yeah. inner per like you can do that you're inside man yeah, yeah exactly and it's like they if you're not willing to take that though what is the thing that happens to you yeah you get your you history erased you get murdered you you're just erased from the narrative. Like mm-hmm. that's basically the entire way that people like take over countries and stuff like that. They destroy everything that was before. Anyone who's not willing to cave and like play ball or do what is asked in terms of like the thing that will sustain what has already happened and will never end until we destroy the train because yeah. it's going to keep going on its own, which we see a lot in the film. Um, is that just yeah, like it's if you're not willing to play ball, you're taken out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they change America. I mean, it's like what the civil rights movement, right? Like we only ever hear about MLK, but there's others out there who were doing things. They were just doing it not the way that they wanted you to know that that happened, right? Like they mm-hmm. don't want to know about the violence. They don't want to know about the protests. They don't want to know that we are essentially doing the same thing different day because they want you to kind of idolize that so they've like stole the identity of mlk right they stole Mm -hmm. that movement and are using it to combat our current movement and that's just like how that's like literally what they're wanting to do in this film um which is interesting to think like you know 2018 and now we're like looking at it like huh well one thing really interesting Mm -hmm. so sorry so uh boots riley talked about how he wrote the screenplay for this in 2012 and then submitted it in 2014, and it was made in 2018. And in an interview, he was asked, did you change it? Like, was there anything you felt like you had to change to make it relevant for yeah. today? And he was like, no, not really. I mean, nothing's every, it's all the same stuff. Yeah. Um, we're erasing the fact that racism exists, and we're trying to make it seem like we're post- civil rights movement or post slavery or post this it's like no but i mean nothing's changed yeah it's still here yeah it's just under a new name it's under a new mask it's uh presented differently or more creatively or honestly we're so overwhelmed by everything that's wrong that we don't know what to do so we pretend that it's not happening yeah um which is another great quote from the movie yeah i squeeze Yes. Yeah. And and I think there's like there's so much that happens in this film, like we said, like even just the existence of worry free, which is this um, 
company that's owned by Army Hammer. Uh, his real name is just more fun. But Steve Lift. Um, yeah. He's a white guy who owns things. But he, what happens is, is people sign up for a lifetime of servitude, but they get room and board. Mm-hmm. They get to live in this place. They get food. They're housed. It's great. And it reminded me of a Margaret Atwood book, The Heart Goes Last, which was where they essentially after the stock market crash, uh, the, the 2008 one. Um, 2008? No. 2000, 2003? One with Bush. That one. When our economy was falling. Uh, right after that. It's it probably was, 2003 because 2001 was. Yeah. So 2003. Yeah. Yeah, something like that. Something like that. Anyway, we're millennials. <laughs> Sorry. We know it, it's honestly the economy is. I was very trash young my then. entire life. I, yeah. I don't know a time when it wasn't. There has never been a time where anything has been <laughs> okay for us good. to become adults and have jobs. It's fine. Anyway, it's so not that you know. It's perpetually bad, but she's she's an older woman, so she knows what's up, Margaret Atwood. Uh, but she read this book where it was right after that, so people lost their homes, they lost like their jobs, and so they re they changed some prisons and so they made it like you can sign up to essentially be in prison you will get room and board you'll get food and that you'll work and then when you get out like you will have like a house like we're essentially like you just have to give us a few years of your life for this minuscule payment for labor and you will then be free right and so and, and there's so much more to it in in that book it's a great book i highly recommend the heart goes last i love maria atwood mm-hmm. i saw her at a free library talk and i was like i thought i loved her before I yeah. her so much. she's great um and that and that's what it makes me think of because honestly our our prison system works on uh, and profits off of the labor of those in there. So they are working for pennies, right? And 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 they are forced to do so. Like, they don't get a choice. This isn't a, a decision. This mm-hmm. is what they have to do. And we are, it is servitude. It is a, yeah. a version of slave labor. And we have normalized it. And so, yeah. like, you know, people are cleaning up the sides and making, like, all kinds of, like, I know people who've been in jail and have to do the, those things. And it's like... That's not the, like, no one signed up for that. Like, they're yeah. not free labor. That's not what that is. Yeah. Like, they're supposed to be fixing themselves and learning and becoming better and being rehabilitized. <laughs> I mean, none of it's about rehabilitated. that, though. Like, none of, not a sing, every single, okay, so, for example, when they see us, every single time a person of color has been basically put into prison under this deal this guy are taking advantage of children or taking advantage of people who maybe don't know their rights or honestly making it seem like that's the better option. It's like, you're not giving those people a choice. Half of them are innocent. Like, what are you talking about? You have petty drug crimes as like life sentences. Yeah. I mean. (laughs) Well, it's like Kids for Cash, the documentary Uh about what happened in Pennsylvania because we have for-profit prisons and we had for-profit juvenile detention centers. And so because of that, we needed to fill them up. They don't make money unless they're full. And so they started locking up kids just for really, really small things or things that were like ridiculous. There's one where... Uh, these parents bought a bike from a local neighborhood kid, but that bike had been stolen. But the cops saw the kid on it and didn't, they never brought in the parents. They trick everyone to signing off that it's okay. And like, the, they never get to see their parents. Like the kid, parents never get to see the kids. The People kids are just, just put away and lose their entire life. But they don't even know how to do that. I they know. don't even, they're being told this is the only way to do it. And no, when you're raised in a system where you think <sighs> that when they're like, oh, well, 
you're going to ask for a lawyer? Do you have something to hide? As if that's not your actual constitutional right is to have a lawyer. Like it does not make you guilty to act upon your constitutional rights. Like you immediately call for a lawyer because they're sneaky and they're going to twist everything you say. Yeah, there's no trustworthy, like their whole job is not to prove you innocent or innocent until proven guilty. Like it is, you are guilty. They need to fill those spaces. Yeah, you need to be in there. They don't care how it happens. They're not your friend. Mm-hmm. It's super gross. Yeah. We lead, you know, we lead the world in uh, incarcerated people. And that's because we, it, it is ingrained in our economy as well. Like we do profit from their suffering and by keeping them in there. Like we are suppressing an entire groups of people by not allowing them to do that. And it's like, we also take remove their right to vote and make a difference in this country as well. So it's like, we level it up. Like you can't even, like once you're in there, you're just done. And that's why we have recidivism rates that are like skyrocketed, like unlike any other place. Cause that's what we do. It's a new slavery. Yeah, no, 100%. 100%. So yeah, I don't know. Wow, there's just so much to talk about. I feel like there's still so, <laughs> so much more much to say. Yeah. Um, a little tidbit from TheVerge.com. Worry-free <laughs> is a parody of WeWork Living Spaces and Amazon Productivity Standards. So it's a fun <laughs> fact. Do you remember our friend Jeff Bezos? Ugh. And by friend, you mean my arch nemesis, and I will take him down. Yeah, it's just like, yeah, it's really gross. I mean, if we're not literally prisoners or enslaved through the industrial prison complex, we're doing so through capitalism. And it's like a system that benefits very few and is made out to seem like it benefits lots of people, but it just actively hurts people. If we... No one wins. Yeah. If If you don't... If you get to the top, you sell your soul. Yeah. Yeah, there are no good billionaires. There's no good one. You can't be a good person and a billionaire. That does not add up. You can't. There's no way. Like, if we... Because you don't need billions of dollars. No human should have billions of dollars. You accepting billions of dollars makes you irrelevant in terms of what your morality is, unless you have given all of it away to literally everyone. But, like, to get there, to get to the billions, means you have hurt and you have victimized and you have, like... And it, it gravely like injured people. Like that's how you get there. Like you are profiting off of the pain of groups of people. Like that's the only way you can get up there. There's no mm-hmm. like good way to do that. Like to profit off of the like hard work of these like lower income people, right? Yeah. And it's like if we taxed Jeff Bezos, it's like the smallest fraction, right? Like if we taxed him honestly, we could actually have uh like free college like (laughs) the way that bernie sanders preaches about it we could have that honestly like and he wouldn't even notice it was gone the fact like i think that coronavirus and this pandemic has shown the extent of the problems of our capitalistic society and like it has really revealed it to a lot of people who didn't see it because we are very clear like in our actions in the fact that we open too early in a, as this country and are jeopardizing the lives of our essential workers quotation right like the, it's their lives are They're essential. essential right now right yeah because we need them <laughs> yeah they were always sort of, like it revealed that uh, our whole country is is it's like they need to get better jobs just kidding no we need them to do those jobs we need them what if what is this though yeah it's a whole thing. instead of valuing those people and those jobs and you know holding them up to higher standards like giving them the support and the the 
the money that they need and deserve. Like, there's like, what does Jeff Bezos do as at all in this country? Nothing. He's done nothing. And you know how many of his employees suffer? How many of them are sick or dead because he kept going? Right. And they were hit. They got a, a hit because of the 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 blackout. So like not buying from Amazon, like they got hit and they continue to do so because people are finally seeing like this is a problem and this is toxic. And he is a villain like he is honestly like Lex Luthor, like, you know, like yeah. he is the villain that we're like there's no way around it. And that because we like idolize wealth than mm-hmm. and billionaires and that status and that's exactly what's happening there. like he is able to put on his blinders and not see that he's literally selling slave labor mm-hmm. and bombs and he's cashes inter- we're cashes. talking about yeah. we're back to the film <laughs> yeah as, <laughs> I'm a, sorry, as a telemarketer <laughs> yeah as a power caller he's literally selling it and i think it's crazy because in, in one scene when he's talking to detroit his girlfriend tessa thompson uh he she says like what are you selling and he changes the topic. And then later, after they have, they show the sequence of like their wealth changing and then they're in the mm-hmm. house and, and now they're in their like apartment and it's all like wealthy and nice. She says it. She already knows. She says, you're selling labor, but she's also in it. Like she is also performative. Like mm-hmm. she, like people think that she's like one of the heroes of it because she's fighting against them, but she bounces because it's awkward to be with him and to be with the the people on strike. And mm-hmm. like, she puts on that show and like performance, like it, she's, yeah, she's being performative as well. And she wears these earrings, she wears these statements, but she's not doing anything. And when she has a direct line into the trauma, she still doesn't do anything. And so yeah. like, she's like, now I can't do this. I'm done, I have to go. Cause it's like, it looks bad was really what the point was. And so I think yeah. like it's so much in in there. Like right we we are trained to ignore the pain and trauma of the other mm-hmm. because we're fine and we know that we're risking our fine if we try to acknowledge that or change that. Yeah. So that's a perfect segue into the quote by Squeeze. Yes. Um, when uh Cassius and uh Squeeze and the other gentleman who I loved what was his name? I forget. He was great. He was just like really fun and like said all the great things in the film. He was hilarious. Yes. Um, but Squeeze goes on to say to Cassius, if you get shown a problem, but you have no idea how to control it, then you just decide to get used to the problem, which is what I feel like kind Sal. of. Sal. Sal. Oh, Sal. yeah, yeah, yeah. I was thinking about Sal. You're right. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we just get used to the problem. You know, it's like we know Amazon is doing what it's doing, but. It's so convenient, you know, two-day shipping. So you can get things delivered same day yeah. from Whole Foods. Like, it's it scares me. literally, we know that it's evil, but it's convenient. We don't want to make that sacrifice. We don't want to inconvenience ourselves. Yeah. Um, and it's just, like, the reality is for these things to change, everyone's going to need to feel really uncomfortable and need to feel a lot of inconvenience, need to sit in that and it's what's rude is that it shouldn't have to be everybody who's already inconvenienced all the time anyway it is at the hands and the job of people who have been rel like basking in that convenience who have been benefiting from it to be like hey just like i literally wrote a whole thing (laughs) it's like if i can't if no one else around me can feel the sun i don't want to feel the sun like we all need to just accept that like we need to be with other people like this is not all about us it's like one of our experience but we need to be out there and like do something 
Yeah. Not just say it, not just be like, oh, Amazon's bad. Yeah. I'm going to use, what's it called? Audible. Audible or like the fresh, the yeah, yeah, yeah. the thing that delivers the food Amazon to your house. Fresh, yeah. um, and it's just like, yeah, you just have to do really inconvenient things. And we see like kind of in the film also like when, I don't know how much more time. Not <laughs> much, but. But yeah. So specifically when he's at the big guy's house. Uh, Steve Lift. Steve Lift. Yes. Uh, well, he's at his house and they make him rap. Mm-hmm. They make him perform what they imagine a black person is. Yeah. Even though he's like, I can't do that. Yeah. He's like actively saying like, no, that's not like, no. Like I enjoy that he always, says, yeah. I can listen to, like, I have the ability to listen to. Like, he says that, like, I have a right to that music, mm-hmm. but I cannot perform that music. And I thought that was a great line because it mm-hmm. wasn't like, like, he was essentially being like, you guys can't even appreciate, like, you don't even have the right to enjoy it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but like, I, that's all I have. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. But then uh, when he's rapping, like when he finally, like, they finally like push him to it. And then he, he says words that I had no way allowed to say. Um, don't need to. You don't need to. Um, <laughs> and that's the whole joke. Yeah. And then he starts it. And then they and, get now the power to do that. Mm-hmm. And they don't stop. Like, they just keep going. And no matter what he would even try to do, there's no stopping it. And I think mm-hmm. we, like, see that with the Coke can. We see that with the, the rap. We see that where it's like, once it is out there, mm-hmm. that they it's take very... It from him. Yeah. It's, like, co- commoditized. Come. How did you say it? Commodified. Commodified. <laughs> it is like taken out mm-hmm. like the. It's co-opted. It's, yeah. It's just basically like the continuation of it is out of control. Yeah. Like there's, it's not able to be stopped by one person at that point. Um, yeah. And that it kind of stacks and spirals and the film does a really good job at like expressing how that happens. And then also like specifically just with social media, how stuff yeah. takes on a life of its own or media itself yeah. like the fact that their show that they watch those people just getting beat up and like how we kind of idolize violence in that way too like we're mm-hmm. entertained by violence but it also like going back to money. capitalism it just makes me remember or reminds me of <laughs> makes me remember uh <laughs> our episode on classism uh, in uh bong joon ho's snowpiercer uh in that in that the the real villains of it are the middle train and that was the middle class because they have the power to lift the people below them but they have the ignorance to not acknowledge that or to be afraid to acknowledge it because it jeopardizes their happiness and so they buy into the to the propaganda and the information that they're being told from by the front of the train and then having this perceived idea of the lower class being below them and being deserving of that pain yeah so it's just that the fact that the 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 majority is the middle class is the people in the center who can make the change right Mm -hmm. and then instead they're like idolizing and fantasizing about going higher and they can't go higher if they help those below them because mm-hmm. you can't, like, you can't go higher if there's no higher, right? Like, you can't yeah. be up the ladder if there's no ladder and we're all on equal ground. <laughs> like, that's the whole thing. And so I think, like, when in this film there is the the um, strike and they're, you know, putting down their phones, they said they're not going to call anymore, and he's in there and he's ready, and 
he was empowered by this idea of like, okay, yeah, you can fire me, but you can't take anything else from me. Like, I will find another job. I'll do this. Mm -hmm. And that would have been fine. That's a reality he is used to. That's a reality that he had built up and expected to have to face. And then when he's confronted with, actually, we want to promote you and we want you to, like, you have the stuff. You're different. You can do it. You're better than them out there. They're going to do whatever they're going to do. You're going to go up. And then even, like, the pep talks in the elevator, right? Like, empowering them. Like, you're so supple and... (laughs) phenomenal and we want to have your babies yeah and all that nonsense right is because like that's what they have to feed them like you have to feel like you are the best like you superior. are better than everything else you're superior so that you can justify in within yourself harming those people and you can disconnect from it so fully because it's like well that's going to happen to them anyway um and i i think this film does such a great job of that yeah. I feel like we, we talked about so many different things and not even like, but that's what this film is like trying to make you do. It, uh-huh. it wants you to see this stuff and go, wow, that like even just one line, like there's, uh, so Detroit has these really amazing earrings, which if you're watching on YouTube, I'm wearing some, uh, and they're all statement pieces. And she has one that is these gold. Um, it's a, a man in a, the electric chair and they're gold. I was like, oh, my God. But they make jokes to her. Uh, they say, like, oh, I didn't know your ancestors were on your earrings, too, or something, right? And it's like she is putting in art and wearing and, like, uh, again, performing this thing. But she, like, laughs it off. And she laughs off this, like, trauma. But that in itself was a whole conversation that we just passed by. It's like yeah. just like when he comes in and she says, what this is, I made Africa. Africa is big. That's why they are big. It is an entire, like, like it's yeah. not a country. <laughs> just America is not a country. <laughs> right? And so, like, she's saying Africa is big. And it is the start of capitalism. And she's going on this whole rant. And then we... Like, us and Cassius are not listening, right? Mm-hmm. And it just keeps happening. There's so many things that are right on the peripheral. And it's, like, in your face. Like, he's telling you. every With everything he does, he's telling you. And he accompanies with great, like, visuals and with great acting and, and dialogue and situations. And it's just, like, all-encompassing. And I think this is a... Like, it takes a really crazy, wacky turn that I didn't expect. But I appreciated it. Yeah. Because it was absurd but at the same time it took it serious yeah and that was so great i i this is definitely like one of my favorite films ever and i think more people should watch it i want to watch it a few times like honestly just Mm because i feel like i want to make sure i see every single piece of what was happening yeah there's so many things and i again we could spend hours talking about the different things or we could do different episodes where it's just like and now we'll talk about yeah (laughs) once i let us know like please yeah if you're interested um or if you have any recommendations of what to watch or read or listen to for our social um horror kind of series that we're doing um we already had one recommendation um from a a fan on twitter so we're, we're we're looking forward to kind of talking about that one uh and maybe that'll happen next week i think um <laughs> we'll see how it goes uh and that's a twitter user at hoop fiasco um who's a new uh like fan of ours who's been like kind of shouting us out and, and supporting us and yeah, we really appreciate cool. you thank you so much yeah. uh and and just like uh that user if you want to uh communicate with us about anything if you want to suggest that we watch something or if you think we could have talked about a different thing or you want to 
com comment, comment below <laughs> or yeah. send us an email at thegoldenbrickstore at gmail.com. Tweet at us, Instagram. Like, we're here, we're listening, and we appreciate everything that you say and taking out the time. Um, and we want to, you know, make sure that we're being conscious of all voices, too. Um, so if we miss something or if you're like, oh, well, did you know? We want to know. Yeah. Well, for this one, we know we missed some stuff because there's a lot. There's too much. I wrote there's so, We took so many pages of notes. But there was no way in the world that an hour's time was enough time. Yeah, no. No. And we'll definitely do this again sometime. I'm sure of it. Because, like I said, I it was Whatever it came up a about. few times. It came up yeah. a few times on my list where I was like, we could do it for this. We could do it for that. Or we could do it for this. So it'll come back. And, uh, yeah. So, yeah, I hope you enjoy it. That's yeah. also what I have to say. We're, we're always going to be yelling about things <laughs> yeah, yeah a plus we're regurgitating some of the same knowledge but i hope you learned a bit about code switching and, and about yeah. not being uh a grammar nazi essentially yeah that's a microaggression <laughs> don't do yeah. it dog yeah and also like we just skimmed the surface of even that so yeah. do your research if this is like the catalyst to which you go learn some stuff please do yeah Yes, and as always, we'll put some links in our uh, description here on uh, uh, YouTube, and you can help support some of the things happening. So, uh, yeah. Don't get married. Eat your kids. I said, I love you. I love you too. I love you. Yeah, and we'll see you next week. Yeah, you know. <laughs>